welcome to another episode of Drunk Advice with Katrina. Um, how this works is that you guys will submit questions online, either through Instagram, Facebook, or our submission form. I don't see any of them. Katie here, who is my sober driver, will Ooh. read the questions to me, uh, and I always answer off the cuff. And today we have a special guest. Carissa is with us. Carissa, I don't remember your Instagram handle and stuff, so tell everybody your social media stuff. <laughs> it's uh, just Carissa Marston. Very boring. Uh, Carissa with a K. <laughs> yeah, we're all K's here. We're yeah. all K's here. Um, yeah, so we're very excited to have Carissa. We did get some questions specifically for her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we can... Uh, I, Katie has arranged uh, how she wants the questions to come up, so we'll, yeah. we'll try just... To- alternate between heavy and light so we don't get too too emotional because you know we've had some of these delightful lavender margaritas that Chris I know made we've for just us. been sitting here drinking with Carissa and catching up and you know getting <laughs> getting nice and drunk for you all I can't show up empty-handed <laughs> I had to make a cocktail for the occasion I know I appreciate that you did that because I I like I have this whole freaking liquor cabinet but I was never going to be able to make a drink that you were happy with I was like that's not true I was like there's no way I can live up to Carissa <laughs> yeah well and our first question actually has to do with bartending for Carissa uh because it was it's uh worded directly to you Having worked in the bar industry for 12 years, what's some advice on getting out of it? The money feels like a trap sometimes, but I know it's killing me. (laughs) Yeah, so I, for those who don't know me, um, I have been working in hospitality for 12 years um, in September. And last week is, or next week is my last week in the bar industry, (laughs) which is so crazy. Um... I think that, you know, I call it blood money because oh my God. it's, <laughs> I, I do, uh, <laughs> because it's, uh, it's, it's great money. It's the flexibility is awesome. Um, I, I've talked to my best friend Kelly about this multiple times where it's like, I feel like I'm so behind all the time and I've gotten some wonderful experiences. I've been able to move. I can go anywhere in the country, in the world, really, and liquor speaks the same language. Uh, And so I have the flexibility to sort of make my own schedule in my own life. So in my 20s, that was incredible, and that was awesome to be able to have that. Um, I've lived many different awesome lives, uh, but I feel like I'm in a space that I can finally start to settle down, and I think that just when you're getting into it, understand that you should set an out time and be very serious about that out time. Um, anything in a job that you don't like, I think that this doesn't apply to just bartending and hospitality. Um, I think that this involves anything where, uh, you are in a position where you don't necessarily love where you're at. Just set an out time for yourself and then Give yourself tools and tasks to make sure that when you get there, it's, you know, like that you're in a safe space to leave. Yeah, that makes sense. Like, you're setting the out time, so specifically you're going to work toward that deadline. Like, you're giving yourself a deadline. Hey, I'm going to, like, 
make these things happen in that time, which goes with, like, I think, advice I've given in the past of you probably shouldn't leave a job if you don't have one lined up. Um, mm -hmm. But, like, but you're not just going, like, okay, I'm, you know, like, I, I set a deadline, I'm out, then, like, what you're doing is you're going, okay, if I'm going to do this for five years, I'm doing this for five years, and in that time, I'm going to give myself the tools and the opportunities that I need to leave mm -hmm. so that when that time comes, I've set it up and I'm ready to go. Yes. And uh, don't make a job that you don't think you're going to be in permanently your whole life is the other thing I would say. Like, I I, I am uh, a bit of a workaholic. I think that when I jump into a space, um, I, I allow myself to be consumed by work. Mm -hmm. um, my career and my work is very important to me, and having an identity in my career is very important to me. And I've had to learn to understand what boundaries look like in that space and sort of, um, know that there's life after whatever job you're currently at and, uh, knowing that your identity isn't your career, because if that goes away tomorrow, um, you are still a wonderful, strong warrior. Yeah. I, I would also say like, that's really common in LA especially because a lot of people come out here with like creative intentions mm -hmm. and then they'll do another job that they have to do because they're like, I need to pay my bills. So I'm going to do this job in order to pay my bills until I make it. And then that job becomes so consuming that they stop pursuing what it is that they came here for in the uh -huh. first place. And I think that is something to be really conscious of and to really look out for because, like, that wasn't your goal, you know? Like, and if you're, you know, God forbid, if you're happy, like, if you found a place where you really are happy and you're like, no, I'm, you know, this is actually, like, I've changed course and this is what I want to do with my life, then good for you. But, like, if this is just something that's, like, bleeding you dry and you're like, I really want to wanted to be doing something else, make sure you're not losing sight of that. Like, make sure you have room for that still in your life. Like, there's got to be time where you're still working toward that passion and that goal. And, and devil's advocate here, um, I came out as an actor, having acted in, in New York, and I did a few things out here. And I reached a point where I realized that, you know, as much as I loved acting, um, pursuing it just wasn't for me anymore. And then what does that mean for me? Like, who is, who am I after that? What is my identity? And so I think it's okay to come out with creative intention, whether that be acting or producing or directing and growing into yourself and realizing that you are able to be creative without making it your career. That's and true. there are other things that you can do. And so like, um, that it's also okay to step back from it and figure out who you are and not just sort of consume yourself with this, I am an actor, and when you step back, not knowing where you belong. And that's sort of how I got out of the industry in the first place, is when I was acting, bartending, and being in hospitality makes sense because of the flexibility. And then when I had made the decision that, you know, I, don't, I didn't have it in me anymore. I was ready to sort of move on to something more stable. Um that it's okay to step back and that I have an identity past who I am creatively as well. That's good. And even if you're not a creative, I came down here and I planned to be an elementary school teacher and uh, six years after moving here, I am not an elementary school teacher and I'm still in education. Life doing is a job I didn't even slow. knew existed. Yeah. Everything's <laughs> yeah. always changing. You kind of got to go with it. I came here with absolutely no creative endeavors and I'm now trying to learn photography. So, what you're doing amazing at. <laughs> Thank you. I need that. That's incredible. <laughs> um, 
Do we want to move on to another? We can question? move on to it. So here's a, a relationship question. Katrina's favorite. Those are my favorite things, but now I get to hear Carissa's opinion. Yeah. Well, this one. <laughs> so this one's about uh, ending a relationship. Which is, do you feel like cheating is automatic grounds to end a relationship? Why or why not? I don't think anything is automatic grounds to end a relationship. Uh, like, the word, uh, there's nothing automatic about a relationship, right? Like, we don't do things on autopilot. Like, I and mean, sometimes we do, and that's something that should be evaluated. But that aside, <laughs> <laughs> like, like and there's nothing automatic about any relationship. I've definitely been in a relationship where cheating happened, um... And we took a step back and we had a real conversation about where we were emotionally, what led us to that point. Um, I, I think like, for me, it was like a matter of, Hey, like, I'm not going to make excuses for this. I'm just going to say like, I'm sorry, I fucked up. And like, whatever you want to do is like, I totally understand. Uh, and if you want to talk about it, like we can talk about it. And you know, like, and we did, and we sort of evaluated emotionally and like, worked through it, and, um, and I think, like, that was right for us at the time, like, that ended up being a really, really healthy relationship, um, and so I think, like, there are definitely times where, you know, people make mistakes, uh, but the, but there are also times where, like, people are chronic cheaters, and, like, that, you know, and, and, like, that needs to, like, that needs to be broached, like, every situation is different, um, you know, I think, like, there were, I think that, like, it's really up to you guys, like, sitting down and having a conversation about it, and if this person is just not somebody who can be loyal or wants to be loyal, and you're a monogamous person, then you should, then you should leave the relationship. But I really, but I think, like, again, it's just not, there's no automatic, there's no, there's nothing that's automatic in a relationship as far as I'm concerned. Like, there's always something that's, like, s specific to the, to those people in the relationship. I don't know if you feel differently. Well... I mean, y'all, communication is key, right? So I feel like if you are in a relationship that's monogamous and you aren't getting fulfilled in the way that you need, you know, sexually or whatever that may be, then it's time to have the conversation with your partner before you reach out to another person. Um, I recently uh, had caught a friend of mine cheating on their spouse and I didn't know that they were um, doing this. And the conversation I had was, uh, you know, something in the relationship for you is missing. And the important thing at that point is to figure out what that is. Is this something that you are willing to fix? Is it something that, um, can be fixed or is it something that you are just continuing to delay until the inevitable happens? Yeah. And I don't think it's an, like, it's like you said, nothing is automatic, but I think that, um, in a space where you're feeling like you need to reach out for something else if you are in a monogamous relationship, it's seeking that within your partner first before someone else. Yeah. I think, so, what was, what's interesting about, like, this is just kind of a unique experience, is this was way back when I was in college, um, and he and I both cheated at the beginning. And so, like, it was, it was sort of a thing where neither of us had fully committed to the relationship and that was just a reality like at the very beginning yeah. neither of us had fully committed to the relationship it was very up in the air we hadn't had a lot of good communication yet we were feeling very like we don't know what's going on we don't know if we trust each other um and I was spiraling about something else entirely and so like we just kind of both like 
lost ourselves for a minute and then we ended up having a real conversation and like we took some time and some space and we came back to it and we went no this is what I want and we do want to both commit to this and like we're gonna actually communicate like we actually communicated it was almost like a thing that like we needed to happen to communicate and so we finally like talked to each other and we we're like no we're both ready to like take this relationship seriously um and commit to it and it's kind of like pushed us forward I think that's unusual. I think most of the time when, like, most of the time cheating is, like, what Carissa said, where it's, like, yeah, obviously it's always that there's not communication happening, um, which was hap was also true in my case. So it's almost always true that it's, like, there's a lack of communication. Uh, a lot of times it's, like, there is something you're missing from a relationship, which was not true in our case. We just hadn't fully committed and weren't sure what we were doing. We were just kind of a mess. Um, but I think, like, yeah, I think it... it there's no way you can say, like, there's 100% an automatic response to this. Ultimately, you need to communicate with your partner. But I also think, like, trust is important. I was going to mention that, yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, I... So, like, somebody once said to me, like, listen, I, you know, I don't worry because I've decided to trust you and, if, and what you do with that is up to you. Like, if you decide to violate that trust, that's your decision. And, like, then, you know, at that point, it'll... It, then at that point, my trust is over. But I've just decided to trust you, so I'm not going to worry about it. And I think, like, for me, hearing that from somebody was actually really helpful because, like, I think we all have a lot of anxiety. I, like, so much of us, like, I'm 35, I don't remember how old you are, but, like, we all yeah. go into these relationships <laughs> now with some baggage, right? Mm -hmm. Like, we have... Everybody's got trust issues from something, but, like, this person wasn't wrong. Like, we have to, like, decide just to go, like, I trust you unless... And what you choose to do with that trust is up to you, you know? And, like, if you violate that trust, then, you know, that's a conversation and it might mean, like, the end of it. And also I think that don't be so quick if you aren't personally ready to forgive somebody or your partner um, if you are not ready to go through the steps and the healing for that as well. Like, I think that if you're going to heal together, you have to come with a lot of forgiveness and not a lot of anger. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, and so coming with anger means that you aren't ready for this relationship to progress. Um, yeah. so not that it's a relationship ending automatically, but I think that again, communication through the whole thing, like try to communicate before if you're the person that's thinking about it. And then if it's, you're the person after you have to communicate your feelings and and you have to hear both sides. Yeah, I think that happens a lot where, you know, somebody has transgressed in a relationship and people try to, like, work on it and move forward and the person who had their trust violated will not let go of what happened. Mm -hmm. And I think, like, ultimately you can't... It's it's keeping score. I think we've talked about this before. Yeah. You can't hold on to it forever. If you've forgiven them, then you've forgiven them, which means, The tally like, system will never work in a relationship. Yeah. It will never work. Yeah, so, like, it's, you know, if you've decided that you guys are going to move forward with this relationship and you're working on it, like, you need to be able to set it aside. And, like, it needs to be something that you can learn to live in the past. And that doesn't mean, like, there isn't a conversation first and, like, there isn't time and, like, them having to, like, you know, reestablish trust with you. Of course that needs to happen. Of course you're building that. But you need to be open-minded to it because if you're not and if you're not willing to put it behind you and it's just something you're going to hold on to forever, mm -hmm. then it's never going to work. Snaps for Katrina. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, next one. A bit more somber. How do you cope with grief? I feel like we did this one. We oh, did, no, we did. How do you, how do you help a friend coping with grief? How do you help a friend who's doing it when you're not going through it? But how do you cope with your own grief? I just spilled my drink on me. I'm going to let Carissa take this one for a minute while I clean myself up. 
And also because she's more experienced. <laughs> um, ooh, this is a good question. Um, if you want me to take it for a second. <laughs> no, uh, I, uh, so, I mean, again, for listeners who don't know, I, I lost my sister, uh, two years ago in a sudden car accident. Um, and she was my best friend in the whole world and my soulmate and my twin flame and, 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 and. So losing her was losing myself. You never get over grief. I guess I like that it's worded cope because I think that's exactly what it is, is that you don't ever overcome. You just learn to live. Um, for me personally, uh, the biggest thing that I had to learn was forgiveness for myself. Um, when you go through this, you very quickly go through, uh, a lot of self-hatred, I think, um, a lot of hatred for the world, uh, and you change, right? No one, no one prepares you for the change that you are about to experience when you go through a, a huge loss. Um, for me, it was learning that it's okay to be different than who I was. It was okay to change and to learn how to forgive who I was before and who I have become after. And it's, it's a lot of like self discovery, right? You have to learn to love yourself. You have to learn to forgive yourself. Um, I, I went through this as a pandemic was happening. And so very quickly I had to learn how to rely on myself. Um, like her birthday, I was alone. And, um, there was a lot of these moments where I had to sort of rediscover who I was as a person. And that was, that was the hardest for me. And it and continues to be, you know, um, weirdly, I had a dream about my sister last night and it, when someone passes, you always hear people talk about, they came to me in a dream or, um, this butterfly landed on me and that, that must be them. And I, I, I'm kind of a pessimist, I guess. Um, and I, I've never thought that way. I've never thought about a butterfly landing on me being my sister, or I've never had a dream really about her that wasn't incredibly tragic. And so I think I was angry about not having these, these moments of, um, of having her in my life and the way that other people mm. have. And I, I wasn't willing to accept it. And I, I don't think I am still, I don't think a butterfly landing on me is serendipitous. You know, I don't think that it's, it's something that is my sister. I Obviously think it's just a butterfly being drawn to how wonderful you are or the bright color shirt. I'm wearing, <laughs> yeah. I dream about Lisa's <laughs> landing on me last night. That's so weird. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and so I, I think that learning the new you is the best way to cope with it and not focusing on the loss, but recognizing that you will change and that things in your life are different. And what does that mean for you was the hardest thing and something that nobody ever told me. People gave me tools about how to preserve my sister and people gave me tools on how to cry about her or how to, um, listen for her signs or, you know, look at photos or whatever that may be. But no one taught me and no one told me what it meant for me. I mean, the brain fog is the most real thing. I like to this day, don't 
can't multitask in the same way. And, um, like your whole body shifts and nobody tells you that when you go through a big loss, what that means for you as a person and what that means for your body and what that means for your soul. I actually think it's called, it's called grief brain. I actually talked about it in the last episode just, and I was like, Hey, everybody look this up because this is a real thing. My grandmother is going through it, uh, currently because my grandpa died a year ago. Um, right after my birthday it was like very uh interesting timing but so she she stopped being able to function in a lot of those ways um and just like everything went into a fog and she still like forgets what day like I mean I forget what day it is but like she like really forgets like she like her whole schedule was based around him you know like he was like he became her like when you're especially when you're older like and like this is the person that you live with like so much of like her routine was based around him and so like kind of threw her into a what do I even do with myself now um and like and I think grief brain hit her so hard like she just got like so like my aunt would just describe her being really confused in different situations um where you know she was surprised that she would be confused about this and it's just I think it's like it's actually like a thing that nobody talks about and people should probably talk about it because, like, that's something people should know. Like, it's actually really normal for you to just, like, have this brain fog. Well, and, like, just overall, like, weird anxiety, right? Like, I was always someone that was on time for everything um, and or early. And when my sister passed, um, it's now a, a friendly joke, which I appreciate, is that I'm 30 minutes late. And it's because I have to have a real-life conversation about leaving my house Um, because of the social anxiety that I have now have, like these, these things that I've developed that I, I can mask, um, when I'm around people or when I have the prep for it, but home alone, I struggle, I struggle every day. And, uh, I just think that there's a lot to grief for yourself that isn't discussed enough. And, um, a lot of the reasons I ended up studying psychology and wanted to go into therapy was that I, I really understood that there was so much happening within me and where I could look at these steps of grief and I could look at, I could read about what it meant to grieve, but I didn't know what it meant to live. And, uh, that was the, challenge for me was to learn how to live again. And I'm learning that now. And I'm learning what that means for me now. I almost want to say you don't actually ever cope with grief as much as you have to learn how to like rebuild your life around it. Like you, you, I, I honestly feel like grief is something you can't cope with. It's just, like, it's so huge and all-encompassing that you end up just having to learn how to, like, like what Chris said, you learn how to live again, and you learn how to, like, rebuild around it, um, because it just, like, and just being okay with the new person that you are. Yeah. Like, I have to be okay with letting my post-grief self pass. Half of myself died with my sister that day. But another half of myself was reborn. And um, just like it took 29 years at that point to figure out who I was, um, it might take another 29, but I'm 
there's joy in rediscovery and there's joy in playfulness and creativity and finding that spark, even though it's not the same, but it's different. And, um, being more comfortable with dancing in the mirror again, and, um... Oh, I was never comfortable with that. Is that important? Oh, <laughs> uh, I, I used to love putting on... You know that, uh, Lizzie McGuire? Yeah, uh, in the more in the, in the beginning of the Lizzie McGuire movie? The yeah, the tide is high with the hairbrush. That was how I lived my life. <laughs> um, and then after my sister died, I just stopped that. Um... And I, you know, I'm finding my voice, whether that is I'm like joking around singing in my bedroom or, um, setting new boundaries or discovering new hobbies or tasks. Um, there's half of me that is now reborn and as sad as it is that that other half of me died, I have to grieve myself. I have to grieve my sister. I have to forgive myself. And then I have to rediscover myself and... It's fun. There's there's joy and loss. There's joy in it. I also just want to, like, take a second to say, like, because everybody talks about the five stages of grief. Those are, I mean, those are fuck real. Them. No, Obviously, fuck like, them. listen. No, fuck listen. Them. Throw those in the toilet. There's no stages. Well, see, that's what I was going to say, is there are five <laughs> stages, but they're not linear, and you're going to come back to all of them over <laughs> and over and over again. Yes. Yeah, it's all just kind of like, it's it just like, like, all of those things are things you're going to experience, but you're not going to experience them in a line and no. like it's and then you're not gonna go like oh I've reached acceptance I'm fine now like that's not a real I don't know I will never accept that my sister passed suddenly in a car accident like there's no acceptance to that the acceptance I guess is again learning how to live with yourself it's not acceptance in the passing and I think that asking someone to be accepting of their grief is utter bullshit and I <laughs> think fair. that it's not healthy to be like just accept be angry and then accept yeah. like is the craziest thing I've ever heard of um some days I wake up and I feel joy I, th I think what you learn again is just to continue to live um and that's the weird thing right is like life does move on and you have to go with it you can't get stuck and um advice like if you're experiencing intense grief, like lay off drinking, lay off smoking, like do things that help you self-reflect, that give you self-forgiveness, that don't allow you to sort of live in the shit, like help yourself heal. Um, you can't forgive yourself until you've learned the, who the new you is. Um, that's, you know, when I, when my sister first passed, I remember I was not drinking an obscene amount, but like I was drinking more than I probably should have been. And it was hard to, for me, reflect on her passing because I was just masking. You were numbing it. And I was pretending like it didn't happen. And I, you know, part of, part of grief is pretending like it didn't happen because you have to. Yeah. There, there is a part of that because you can't hold the space for that in one day. And also, again, forgiveness is accepting the fact that you don't have the space to, to let that in that day and to being able to just hold it down until the next. 
You know, it's funny in a not at all funny way. Um, I, actually, I love those moments. <laughs> I actually did have one of those experiences where it wasn't like butterflies. I had a dream about my, one of my best friends from college died when he was 24. It's in, you know, obviously every, every age is too young, but that's just like way too young. And I, you know, it, it hit hard, but like, I'm one of those people who like, denies 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 like I I think like for me I just went I don't even know how to deal with this emotion and so I just like I was like I don't know I'm just gonna go about my life like I don't know what to do and I just kind of like went numb and then I had one of those moments where I did have a dream about him and you know he it was we were going on a, a road trip and I you know I came out of my apartment and we packed the car and we got in the car and he was driving and you know we took we turned music on and we like pulled out and we're immediately stuck in traffic and we just kind of sat there and I was like well I guess <laughs> I guess we're stuck and he goes it's okay I'm not in a hurry and um you know there was just this like beautiful moment of like sitting with him and like listening to good music and just being like with him where I felt like that's why we weren't in a hurry right like we're just together and I woke up and I was devastated like that was when it hit me you know like the dream wasn't like oh like oh I have peace and I'm moving on like I woke up and I was devastated because he was gone um and I was just like no I want to go back to sleep like I don't want to be awake here um because like being asleep he was still there you know and he was still with me and being awake he was gone and like that's when all of that grief kind of came in and so like it was weird for me that like it's funny because like so many people do have those stories where like oh I learned acceptance through this and it's bullshit <laughs> like, it's it, you know and like <laughs> again me saying it's bullshit is the pessimistic version of this right like however you learn accept I hate that word I hate that word acceptance we have to come when you come to terms with yeah or when you uh learn to be this new you mm -hmm. uh that's when, like, whether that's a dream or this fucking butterfly, whatever <laughs> I have a friend who finds feathers. She had a, a, a college friend who uh, took his own life. Uh, but when things are really rough in her life, she finds feathers sometimes that she's Do you know really sure that he sends her. why I think this is bullshit? Uh, <laughs> Audrey, who also works at the bar, um, informed me of this Cosmo and Wanda thing. I don't have a TikTok. Yeah. But they informed me of this Cosmo and Wanda thing. And then all of a sudden, I'm hyper-focused with pink and green together. I can look I, at your apartment. Your bag right there is pink and green. I need more. Hang on. Sorry. Cosmo and Wanda? So, Fairly Odd Parents, Cosmo and Wanda are pink and green, and in the show, they transform into objects to hide in Timmy's life. TikTok started this trend of realizing that a lot of people have green and pink things together, together. and you don't do it on purpose, and they the just bag. show up. Like, like, you can look around your room right now, and I can see things that are pink and green. The DS and your cat's toys, or not the DS, oh my god, I just dated myself. Your Switch, I hate myself. Technically it's blue, but like, yeah. Um, the pink and green thing. Like, I think that when you're hyper-focused on something... You see it. You see it. You see what you want to see. You see I what yet, you want to see. You have to really stretch my... to see that in my apartment. Like, you have to be trying. It is a little bit of a stretch in here, but like, you have... It's bad. Look at your bag. It's pink and green right there. I know. It's from Target. I just got that. Uh, you can ball. see it. It's everywhere that you go. And so I think that that's this feather thing, or I think mm -hmm. it's the butterfly thing. Like, I think that, and if that helps people, there's this book called Signs um, that someone had bought me when my sister first passed that I read and kind of, I, I couldn't get there <laughs> because I was like, to me, my sister isn't this inanimate object. Like, mm -hmm. she's the life that lives in me. And the dream I had last night which sort of ties this into a nice fancy bow before we move on is 
um, we were driving a car, but we were both in the driver's seat. And so she was sitting on my lap and I was controlling the gas and the brake and she was sort of controlling the car and we were doing something or we're finding some kind of weird outfit or something online. And that's why we were both trying to drive the car. And, uh, this is the first dream I've ever had about my sister that wasn't traumatic. Uh, and it's been years. And so I think I was so startled about my dream that I actually had like woken myself up. Like, Oh my God, I was so excited because as sad as it is, I'm now making new memories Mm -hmm. in my subconscious because that's the only way that she sort of lives in new memories. Um, so I woke myself up and I had to have this reflective period in my like waking up routine of doom scrolling and whatever, but really that is just me thinking of whatever's to come. And, um, in that moment I was like, it's because we both are in the driver's seat. Uh, I live because my sister lives in me and people know my sister because they know me, and I think that that's really fucking awesome. I think I told you that once, a long time ago, when yeah. you were afraid to date again because she wasn't going to be able to meet your new partner. partner, and I think I said something like that. Yeah, and I think that we're, we are both in the driver's seat, me and my sister, and um, I am, the half, half of me is my sister, mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and the grief that that holds, and so... We're both in the driver's seat and we're both hitting the gas. And even though she can't be here, like it's my life's mission to make her proud and to be around people, whether that's friends or relationships, um, that would also make her proud. And, uh, so my foot's on the gas and I'm going forward and me and my sister are in the driver's seat. And that's how I cope with my grief. She's still helping you steer. Yeah. I love that. Okay, good place to end. We're at, let's move on to another question. Much much lighter, uh, which is, Carissa, where do you get all of your cute bags, and how can I do bounds as well as you? Which I'm slightly offended by as someone whose Instagram <laughs> handle is bound and rebound, but... No, you're okay. No, Katie, your your trash can bound was my favorite thing that's ever existed, probably in Disney ever, like any kind of Disney social media. Like I was obsessed with the trash can bound as someone that is I have another one that I need to post I did the Guardians one and I made Scott be Rocket because he's a trash panda uh oh nice that is my nickname yes (laughs) that is my nickname trash panda so I relate to Scott in this um but your your trash can bounds were uh perfect uh most of my bounds are lounge fly shameless plug that's my new job I'm going into congratulations uh (laughs) <laughs> my favorite thing was uh, I was talking to someone they're like are you ready to start this new collection and I was like start mm-hmm. yeah I'm going to start this new collection don't <laughs> mind me uh, I don't have 32 of them <laughs> yeah. uh, I was like 34 the other but day but like is it 32 well so I actually found out that my Slytherin one wasn't Loungefly uh, it's a it's an off brand mini backpack so uh, that's, I have an Ariel one that's not Loungefly but it just should be Loungefly yeah it, but it it should be but he, and I have knows? a Sailor Moon one that's not maybe that is just a start maybe you're gonna have hundreds and thousands this is there are like people like that 30 have something look like, yeah, a, like uh, a small amount yeah my boyfriend Jet might kill me um, but you know it's all part of dating Carissa is the Disney obsession, the the Mickey ears that are literally all over our bedroom wall. Um, <laughs> oh my god, I, Katie has a wall. I, it's, there, it's my guest room, but yeah, I have I have <laughs> a wall. It's in my bedroom. <laughs> it was in I, my bedroom um, before, but uh, Scott didn't want it in in our bedroom. Uh, that's, 
that's a fair thing. I, <laughs> I have too much, uh, mm-hmm. shit. But, uh, I mean, a lot of my bounds, I, I, and you can speak to this too, Katie, I just do from, like, uh, I'll look at, like, I did my Pinocchio bound, mm-hmm. and... It's just, like, it basically so Pinocchio. It's so cute. Things. And I, I was just like, okay, for Dapper Day, I was like, I'll just do a red skirt with, you know, I'll, I'll look at it and just sort of figure out what I can find on Amazon or Iguana, which is a local mm-hmm. um, thrift shop here, or anything, and I do mm-hmm. a lot of thrifting. And Iguana's, like, right across the street from yeah. Scum. Which, actually, we haven't plugged yet, so I'm just gonna do it really quickly, because I feel like we've, we plug it on almost every episode, and Krista works there. Yeah. So, for now. Us. For now, yeah, that's <laughs> no, the job. No, but also, like, always a no, we, Scum We love Scum. Fan yeah. I plugged whatever. in with Elliot on here, and he, like, was giving off the address, and we're like, wow, that's impressive. Yeah, I don't know the address. 6377 <laughs> Hollywood Boulevard. There we go, 6377 I mean, I do orders, so I, yeah, I order liquor know. for the bars. <laughs> Chris <laughs> manages. Yeah, she's one who got me addicted to screwball. Uh, so every time we've been, every time we've said the bar during this episode, we should know we're talking about Scum and Villainy Cantina, which is the L.A. resident nerd bar. Um, and we spend all of our. I mean, Carissa obviously spends all of her time next to us, so she's going to be spending less time there now that she's moved on to her job at Loungefly. Probably she's not. Moving into, yeah. <laughs> but like, I only spend, be there twice a week instead of six times a week. Yeah. She'll, she'll go down to like my level, which is the twice a week. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so that, yeah, always got a plug, Scum Villainy. It's definitely the best bar in Hollywood and probably the country. I'm just putting it out there. I mean, it really is. And, and I bound there, too. I missed the game <laughs> nights that had themes because I used to do, like, rule breaker bounds. I did a Ghostbuster outfit. I did a Game yeah. of Thrones outfit. People miss the theme game nights. Um, but the owners, Jenna JC, they're, they're so wonderful. And they are. Megan, who is the GM over there, is one of my greatest friends. And so... Um, it's just a family. So when you walk mm-hmm. in, like it's one of those you're when you're here, you're home moments. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, yeah. JC was talking about showing his baby Finding Nemo the other day. That's the conversations we're having at the bars. Is showing babies Finding Nemo. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Yeah. And so I interrupted something to bring up our plug for Scum and Villainy. Really oh, quickly. bound. So oh, yeah, I, yeah. I did. I did my. I did my uh, lounge fly. Plug. plug and the Disney bound plugs and yeah stay stay tuned I will maybe be back and I can talk about progress on yes. the launch fly front Absolutely. I would love to have you back but yeah Disney bounding thrifting that's how we got there was iguanas across yeah. from oh yeah iguanas across yeah, from I'm a huge yeah. fan of thrifting um someone pointed the term term versatility bound of like using the same piece over yes. and over again huge fan of that um I like thread up which is online thrifting yeah, yeah. and is dangerous yeah. as all heck. Yeah, I can't. I can't do it from there. I can't do it. I will spend all of my money. I have to go in person because then I can like see it, try it on, think Mm -hmm. about it. Um, Otherwise, my online shopping obsession is like money's no object. This is online. Apple Pay is just my face. (laughs) I I use it for cosplay especially because they have like saved searches. So like we were gonna do a whole Disney princess group because there was this artwork I found of like modern Disney princesses in formal wear. Mm. Um, which I should show you, and you should be a part of that group now. Uh, but I was going to do Rapunzel, and she has, like, a purple ombre dress with, like, sequins down it to look like the lanterns, and I found a purple ombre dress in the right cut because of saved searches. It's like, ha! Yeah, I actually found the dress I wore to your birthday party on, I think it was either Thread Up or Poshmark. It was Thread Up, because I got it for you. That's right, yeah, so it was Thread Up. So it's it's a great, it was, like, maybe $30. Yeah, not even. Not even. It was, and it's, like, a fucking gorgeous dress. I'll probably, if... If I can get into LOJ somehow, it'll be that dress that I wear. I just need to borrow, like, wings and ears from somebody in Bife, but... I have wings. 
<laughs> but, but yeah, so anyways, that's thread up Poshmark or online. If you feel like you can trust your own judgment in terms of money spent, unlike Carissa, who has to buy it in person. <laughs> I just, I need the, I need the cooling off point. You know? It's also I just fun to wander and my Amazon stuff is brutal because I just will do it not thinking. And then all of a sudden I have all new Amazon stuff and it's suddenly five boxes show up and you're like, Oh. Yeah. yeah, I'm not an Amazon person only because of Jeff Bezos. No, I try to stay away no, from it, but then it's too easy. I, get it I definitely days. get stuff from it. there sometimes, but I avoid it as much as I it can. Just it's the second someone else comes out and does something that I can get something here in two days, I will absolutely Prime support shipping. you. Uh, this seems like a billion-dollar opportunity, yeah. friends. Let's get on this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it really is about, it really is about, like, that convenient shipping. shipping. Because, like, I, the, and that's the only time I make the exception on using yeah. Amazon is if I need something, Someone like, else right needs away. to offer $50 for the year as much free shipping as you want, and we will all do it. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, like, Amazon is so big that what they do is they have all of these warehouses everywhere, and that's how the the prime the prime shipping, shipping is it works. It's like they're shipping. literally yeah they're literally here. You know, like yeah. we're in LA, so like they have they they'll just mm -hmm. pull from their warehouses in California. They have warehouses everywhere now, so like you can just do that prime day shipping, and they're gonna send it to you in two days because it's literally right right there. there. So it's it would be hard for somebody to to pull like a small business isn't gonna be able to pull that off. But also. And, 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 and Walmart's not a small business. And, and they failed still. Yeah. yeah, and so, like, I'm just, just to point out how hard that is to accomplish, yeah. No, and, like, screw Jeff Bezos and all the whole thing, but, like, I can't tell you how many people that I have met. I remember um, I talked to this person who did a coffee grinder business, um, started an entire coffee grinder business uh, via finding things on Alibaba, et cetera, et cetera, and ended up creating like a million dollar company through Amazon because Amazon gave them that front. And so like Amazon sucks and uh, the way that they treat their employees is terrible and I don't want to support them, but there are a lot of small businesses and people that can start via their platform yeah, because true. it's so large. And so it's it just, just be nice store. if we turned around and actually treated their employees. It's the same with Etsy, right? Because Etsy yeah. has a lot of creatives on there, but Etsy treats their creatives like shit. Mm -hmm. And how many times do you see these like Etsy, like uh, there's this I always friend of mine, Natalie. Have separate things than their Etsy. If I yeah, it. my friend Natalie is one of the most talented people I know, and she's wonderful. And um, she does all kinds of cosplay stuff, and she is constantly having problems with Etsy. And uh, I think that, like, unfortunately, it gives her the platform that like can give her more business, but always checking to make sure that these people have another outlet. I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the reality is that we're probably only going to have time for one more question. So choose a really good one. Like, uh, I know we spent a lot of time talking about grief. Um, yeah. which, which I think important. it's a big, it's a big, big topic. So. All right. Well, let's do one, try to do a quick one and then we'll do one more serious one. Okay. okay. So we'll do a quick little one. Which, um, because I like this one because it is an advice question, which is how long should I wait after a TV show or movie is out to discuss it online to avoid spoiling it for other people? Oh, I like this one. Oh, per my personal opinion on that is like, 
just put it, like, put it under spoilers. Like, you can talk about it whenever you want, but put it under spoilers. Like, that's it. Like, just, you just have to, like, like, there's ways, like, on Facebook and stuff to just, like, you, like, say, like, hey, spoilers below, and you just kind of move it below the line. And, like, people will know. So, like, that way you can engage, but people will know, like, hey, there are spoilers here, and to, like, move on. I think before, like, you post memes and stuff, because that's inevitable in the way that we operate, mm-hmm. um like, a week for shows. I think, like, something like mm-hmm. Obi-Wan or Loki or WandaVision, etc. You have a week. You have an hour at your house that you can catch up over the course of seven days. Yeah. Um, that's acceptable for spoilers to be posted. Something like Endgame or any of the Star Wars uh, films. Yeah. Or Movies in a theater, especially when you have to go to the when theater. It's, when it's theater exclusive, I think a month. Okay. Oh, a month. Yeah, that's fair. I think... Most people are, like, at least two weeks, but, yeah. I think, I a, think month a month is fair is for fair. pictures, especially. For, like, for photos that are going to be, like, if you had posted this snap before a month, like, I was fortunate enough to go before opening, um, but if you post the snap before the snap happened a month, like, that ruins yeah what the Avengers and all of Marvel had been working towards. So I think for something as large as that, at least a month, yeah. I went to Disneyland the day after uh, Infinity War was released, and I was in line to meet Peter Parker, and Loki walked by and started sassing him, and at one point went, careful, Parker, it could all disappear in the snap of a fingers, and then walked away. <laughs> and I was dying, and no one around me knew, but I was dying. Ugh, rough. Yeah, it was great. All right, um, and then a last one. Last serious question. I'm generally, this is also a, a longer thing, because um, they're, a little scared of confrontations. Okay. I find myself in moments of being uncomfortable choosing just to bear with it instead of voicing my discomfort, or in some cases choosing to stay silent instead of standing up for myself or others around me. No, this I'm is just me. I'm pretty sure most of it comes from past trauma. I was bullied as a preteen to the point of losing all, most all people I thought were my friends, and I fear something similar happening in the future even now as an adult. So I feel like I'm constantly walking on eggshells. Any advice on overcoming one's fear of confrontation? Um, I mean, I... No, I I struggle with this a lot. Yeah, Uh, me too. Like, I am someone that fears confrontation big time. Um, but I think that... I think the word confrontation is a trigger word, right? Like, if you're confronting someone, it means coming at someone with aggressiveness. And with intent of fighting or, you know, whatever that is. But, like, I think that... Again, we said this earlier in this episode that, like, communication is key. There's a difference between confronting in the way that I think that we all view the word and conversing. And um, for me, what I'm learning, because I'm someone that doesn't know how to set boundaries well, and I'm someone that does struggle with confrontation, is that communicating needs and communicating uh, things that are, like causing me discomfort is different than confronting. Um, like if I walk up to Katrina and I said, the thing that you did three days ago, you know, whatever that may be, made me feel sad. Oh my God. I'm so sorry. <laughs> right. Like I think that you get a different yeah. response than coming in hot and like mm-hmm. viewing it as confrontation versus having a conversation, um, which can still be intimidating. I don't want to like discredit having a tense conversation is also stressful. Oftentimes when I feel 
uh, tense. Sometimes I will cry or I will get overexcited and like, uh, you know, my anxiety will, will peak. Um, but understanding that the people, including, uh, friends, coworkers, etc., are on my side and genuinely are trying to help me, um, making sure that I am voicing concerns or things like that is different than confrontation. I will also say on top of that, because I agree with that 100%. <coughs> I will <laughs> direct me on me. <laughs> We're so close. We've been cuddling this whole episode. <laughs> we cuddled and Chris just coughed on me. It's yeah. fine. Um, what was I going to say? Uh, so I think it starts with a feeling of self-worth and self-respect also. And I understand that that's... And, and like I'm, I'm bringing this up because I think it's something that most of us struggle with. Especially mm-hmm. those of us who have issues with confrontation. And I'm putting air quotes on the confrontation because I agree with Carissa. Like, I think like conversing and like having a conversation does kind of shift the tone. But I think we still struggle with it because we are just like, oh no, I, you know, it's... I have an inclination to be a doormat. Like, you know, I have the inclination to just be like, oh, okay, like, I'll just take that. And, like, that's what I, you know, that's what I deserve or whatever. And, like, that feeling, like, finally going, like, I deserve to be treated like a human being. I deserve the respect of a human being, and I have the right to ask for it. Just, even just, like, sitting with that idea can be really hard. Like, just even, just, like, just saying it sometimes. For me, like, that's hard to just go, I have the right to ask to be treated like a human being. And also, I shouldn't have to ask to be treated like yeah. a human being. Mm-hmm. Um, it can be really rough. Um, and so I think a lot of this does start with learning to feel your own self-worth and, like, learning to, like, respect yourself enough to say, no, this is across my boundary. Like, I need to say something. Like, hey, like, you've... Like, this kind of crossed my boundary, or, like, you know, this made me feel sad, and I really want to talk about it, or, like, do something about it, because I think, like, it starts with you. So, like, the first step before you can even get to that conversation is going, like, I I respect myself enough, or I feel like I'm worth better, I'm worth more than this. So, so like, it's internal. Some of the best advice I ever got given was actually from work. Uh, we were having a lot of issues with coworkers, um, and a whole chunk of the team actually got let go. It was that toxic of a situation. But as we were working through it, uh, someone from admin was saying, when it comes to conflict resolution, assume positive intentions. Hmm. Assume that most of the time, if someone hurts with you, they didn't mean to hurt you, that something else is going on. And so at least in an office setting or a setting where you can go talk to them one-on-one, you know, you've had a big meeting, someone said something weird, going to them afterwards and going, hey, is everything okay? You made this comment and it came off a little weird and I felt a little uneasy about it and kind of giving them that space to talk through it with you. And then again, you're not coming to it as a confrontation, you're coming to it as a conversation. Um, but that that's some of the best advice that I've ever been given in working relationships is, is that assume positive intentions. Assume yeah. that people do not mean to hurt you most people, including myself all the time, make mistakes and say stupid things and go go in with positive intentions. Yeah, I do think that, like, just to get yourself to that point of being able to speak up, though, like, you, you need to, like, really, like, see your own self-worth enough to be like, I just, des- like, I deserve to not be hurt. And mm-hmm. just, just enough to say, like, hey, 
I, like, this thing kind of hurt me. Like, to, in order to, like, voice that something hurt you, you need to say, like, I, I deserve to not. But hurt. also put yourself in the other person's shoes. Like, I've had mm -hmm. a few people in my life come up to me to voice something, and the first thing they said is, well, I'm afraid of confrontation. I'm afraid of expressing this yeah. to you. And I was like, I am also afraid of confrontation. And so, like... Mm -hmm. The person that you might be confronting or the person that you might be trying to have the conversation with also has the same fear and genuinely just wants to meet you where you are at. Mm -hmm. And so I think just, like, accepting that the world is also... A f like, confrontation is yeah. a very scary thing. Yeah, it's very, okay yeah. to be afraid. people like it. Assume that people don't want to get into a fight with you most yeah. of the time. Yeah, most of the time. There are, and there are course, always exceptions. There, but, but like, here's the thing, and I and I want to stress this too, because you're there are going to be times where you say, okay, this person hurt me, and now I need to say something, and you and you and you find it in yourself to bring it up to them, and then they become very defensive or aggressive because that's how they respond to somebody saying that they that you hurt them uh, or that you hurt that rather that you were hurt by them. Uh, there are there are other people who cannot handle the idea that they might have done anything wrong, and they become very defensive. And, and that's, accepting that's a trauma response and not something that you did wrong is mm -hmm. crucial in those okay. moments. People yeah. naturally will get defensive. Don't get hurt by people getting defensive, because it might take them five to ten minutes just to even process, like, I hurt someone, and no, yeah. I couldn't hurt someone, I could never do that, and then you try to defend yeah. yourself, and... Yeah. The, because a lot of times what happens is they feel like you're if there's so much in our there, there's so much in our like conversation globally that it's just like oh if I do bad things I'm a bad person which is not true right like there's like good people do bad things all the time we all fuck up like everybody makes mistakes but there's this in this there we have this purity culture now where if you mess up you're canceled and, and so part of that adds to the stress of, if I messed up, I'm a bad person. And so everybody's going, no, I couldn't, I didn't do that. I'm not a bad person. Right? Like, so if you say to somebody, Hey, you did this thing that hurt me, what they're hearing a lot of the time is I'm a bad person and I can't be a bad person. No, I'm a good person. And so then they're going to become defensive and, you know, like, and so that's a trauma response. Um, and it's a trauma response that I think is just becoming more and more common. Yeah. Um, because, like, our society really is leaning more and more to that direction. And I, like, I, you know, I had a conversation with somebody recently about, like, I was like, I don't know if I did the right thing. And she was like, I'm less concerned about whether I do the right thing all the time and whether or not I'm just being a human being. Like, because we're, we're people and we're fucking up and, like, there isn't always a right and wrong. And sometimes we just need to, like, do what feels like best for us yeah and whether that's right or wrong or whatever it is um like I can't like worry all the time if I'm doing the right thing mm -hmm. I need to just like do what's best for me and I think like we need to move away from a little bit from this like yes like we all need to grow and evolve as a culture but we do need to move a little bit away from this like purity culture where like mm -hmm. everybody's canceled if you fuck up once like that's yeah. you know you don't go through James Gunn's tweets and cancel him over something stupid he said 20 years ago like, that's, that's not helpful to anyone. That's purity culture. But it also, because it scares people. Like, everybody's afraid now of, like, doing anything or saying anything. And so, like, especially, like, and it, and it does affect interpersonal relationships because now people feel like if you say, like, oh, you did this thing that hurt me, that you're saying they're a bad person, mm -hmm. right? And so, like, there's this, like, and a lot of that comes, like, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily come from the, you know, like, the cancel culture. Some of it comes from their childhood and their trauma. Mm -hmm. And, like, there's so many reasons to feel that way. 
I will say that doesn't mean there's any reason that you shouldn't still do it. I, I do, like, just know that it's not about you if they respond that way. I also will say, like, there's, you know, like, when it comes to talking about confrontation versus conversation, <coughs> there are proper ways to address it. Like, I, you know, like, if people always say, like, oh, I statements, and what does I statements mean? Because, like, that, you know, like, that's such a, like, I can start any sentence with I if I try hard enough. But, I like, hate I statements because saying I feel this means that someone else has nowhere to go because you can't tell them they don't feel that way. Of course they feel that way. So what are you supposed to do with mm -hmm. it? Right. It but, I, I've had that used against me as an attack so many times. Yeah. Stat. But like what you can say like is, Hey, this thing that you like, this thing that you did, you might not have meant it this way, but it made me feel this way. Like, I don't know. Like, I want to know what your intention was or like, I want to talk about it because like, I, like, I, I do feel sad now and I just want to kind of like, go over it. Like, I just want to talk about it. You know, so, like, remembering that, like, our goal here is not to trap somebody or corner somebody, but to say, like, I, like, I feel sad. That is my I statement. I feel sad. Be like, and, and, like, why do I feel sad? You said this thing. It doesn't mean that you, like, I'm not going to you and saying, like, you did this to hurt me. What I'm doing is saying, You like, made me sad. Yeah, what I'm saying is, like, I feel sad because this, you know, like, this brought up all these feelings in me, and I don't know if this is what you meant, but, like, maybe we can talk about it, and, you yeah. know, like, why this made me sad. Yeah. And that's it. I don't Emma. know. Did you have anything more to yeah. say? No, I think that you nailed that. Yeah. <laughs> Just, I said a lot of things. <laughs> I think you nailed it. It was very broad. <laughs> it's almost like we have a podcast where we say a lot of things. I know, and drunkenly, so. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry I made the lavender margaritas so strong. Uh, the lavender from these margaritas are actually from this lavender farm down the street from my father's house in this town that has, like, a hundred people oh max my goodness. in it. Guys, I just want you to know, this is why Carissa is so special. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, the lavender sugar and the lavender margaritas that I made and uh, the lavender that was infused with is all, like, this very awesome local um, place in Pine, Arizona. My dad has a house in Strawberry, Arizona that's, like, just down the street. It's the most adorable names I've ever yeah. heard. <laughs> uh, and so this this lavender that you guys are sipping on and enjoying is from Pine, Arizona. It's very, very small town. It's very cute. Uh, family owns it. Um, so it's just shameless plug with my Arizona roots coming nice. in. And I do tend to make all of my cocktails at friends' houses a little strong, so I will apologize. That's fair. That. To be fair, I also <laughs> moved, I, I finished that, and, you know, I gave you the last bit. And I moved on to rum and my regular, like, orange juice blend of, like, mango and all the other Love juices. it. <laughs> the point is to get Katrina drunk, so a Well plus. done. Successful <laughs> endeavor. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and I feel like we gave out a lot of advice in this episode. Yeah, so. this was great. Thank you for coming. Thank you come for back having for me. season two. Yeah, you're gonna have sure. to come back in love season. That would absolutely love that anytime. Okay, you both are my favorite. Thank you so much. You're my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell anybody I said that. <laughs> Everyone knows. That. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Well, thank you everybody for listening, and goodbye. Farewell. <laughs>